Welcome to Periods, Poos and Pimples. My name is Jacinta and I'm the founder and nutritionist of Arenda Women's Health, an online clinic specializing in all things skin, gut and reproductive health. This podcast is for all women who have ever had some level of confusion in regards to their health. Whether you're battling with a skin condition, menstrual cycle disorder, fertility issues or gut issues and you just want to understand what is going on and what you need to do from people who know what they're talking about. In each episode, I'll be speaking with experts in the realm of women's health to give you the highest level of education that you'll need to develop a deeper connection with yourself and your body. Although this information will be super insightful, this information is not for diagnostic or treatment purposes. And please ensure you speak with your medical professional before implementing any treatment protocols. Please do keep in mind, as we may refer to research or specific pathophysiology of conditions, when we're referencing male or female, it is specific to the gender that's assigned at birth and pronouns used are specific to the individual discussed. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to you joining us on this journey. In today's episode, I'm joined by fertility naturopath, lecturer, and clinic supervisor, Leslie O'Connor. Leslie specializes in supporting women to take back control of their fertility and reproductive health, whether it's falling pregnant naturally or supporting her clients through ovulation, induction, and IVF. Leslie uses such a holistic approach to be able to help guide and support her clients. In today's episode, specifically, we're going to be delving into all things endocrine disrupting chemicals and why this is so important for every individual, even including males, to be aware of when it comes to fertility. So welcome to the show, Leslie. I'm so happy to have you on today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit about your area of specialty and what makes you so passionate about this topic. So what got me interested in women's health is after I graduated, I actually moved to Canada and I worked within a pharmacy and healthcare center there. And we had a lot of women coming in for hormones, postpartum health. And with that, I just saw a really big need. I felt like women, they didn't know like the messages that their body was trying to tell them. And they just felt really helpless. So being able to actually guide them through that process to help them get pregnant, balance their hormones and improve their quality of life was just so rewarding helping people through that process. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think I'm sure you could probably relate as well when I'm in clinic and I can see clients from the start to the end. And like usually that first consult, they're like, I've never heard of anything like this before in terms of their hormones. Like I remember even yesterday I had a client that I was going through some of her bloods and she was like, no one ever worded it to me that way. No one ever spoke to me about it in this way. And yeah. it's so rewarding when you can be that person to provide them that guidance, isn't it? I think so. And the beautiful thing about natural health practitioners is that we have more time to go through someone's hormone pathology with a fine tooth comb and actually give them the answers that they're so you know, desperately seeking yes. to, to get those outcomes and to help them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on the topic of today's, like with the endocrine disrupting chemicals, I think that's so important for us to delve into because it's actually something that's emerging so much in the research, isn't it? But it's something that's just like, you know, if you were to go through the medical route and not to disregard the medical route because they're absolutely essential and they're so important, but it's not something that would be brought up at your first consultation when you're like, hey, I'm trying to fall pregnant. Um, yeah. It wouldn't be that topic of conversation that comes up. But if we think about it every single day, as soon as we open our eyes in the morning, we're kind of instantly exposed to these things from the moment we walk into our bathroom. It's so true. They're yeah. everywhere. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about what are endocrine disrupting chemicals? So an endocrine disrupting chemical is a substance found in the environment that really disrupts our endocrine system. And it can do this by either blocking or mimicking hormonal actions. And then that can have really severe health outcomes. Mm-hmm. So for anyone who doesn't know what the endocrine system is, so it's pretty much a system within our body that's made up of glands that pretty much produce hormones. And these can be things like our thyroid testes or ovaries, um, our hypothalamus that's in the brain. And these pretty much release hormones that bring the body back into homeostasis to pretty much keep us alive. (laughs) Yeah. So then basically with these endocrine disrupting chemicals, so they basically would, I guess you said they mimic or they kind of inhibit the action of these hormones. So they bind to the receptor on particular cells, especially estrogen receptors. Yes. Okay. So where would you mostly find these endocrine disrupting chemicals? So they're pretty prevalent. Um, Some of the main sources that we can find is plastic. So plastic is a massive one. We're exposed to just so much plastic. We have plastic water bottles, containers, takeaway cups, even toys, like everything that we come into contact with, there's a high chance that it's going to be plastic. Mm. Another one that's really common that people don't think about is receipts. So they can continue BPA. Yeah. So, and we're grabbing those. We could be maybe holding on to them for a longer period of time. And then the transference of the BPA from those is actually higher if you have things like lotion or even um, hand sanitizer on your hands. Mm-hmm. So that can increase the absorption. Cleaning products, even things like new cars, new furniture, new carpet, um, because they're all treated with chemicals. Yeah. Um, dry cleaning, not maybe not so much a big thing here, but I think in the States they seem to be really big on dry cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, cosmetic and healthcare products. Perfumes is also a massive one. Yeah. And if you think we're spraying that perfume near our thyroid. Yeah. And that's going through the skin. Absolutely. And I think that's such an important thing. And even for like all the skin therapists listening as well, it's something that's, you know, when they're even thinking about what type of skincare they're prescribing Mm -hmm. their clients, like why that's so important, because that's directly going into the skin. It's the largest organ. It's getting absorbed straight into the lymphatics, straight throughout the blood. And if that's going to be playing havoc on the client's reproductive hormones, and that's just going to have that vicious cycle with, you know, if they've got acne or anything like that. Yeah. It's so true. I've never thought about it like that, but that is exactly correct. So in terms of then the most common sources that you see, so what do you often recommend to individuals to kind of look into so they can learn, I guess, or navigate kind of where their sources might be coming from? So one of the um, websites that I often recommend is the Environmental Working Group. So they have quite a lot of resources on there and you can actually put in your products to see how they rate in terms of the, I guess, disruptor or their gauge on how much or how, I I kind of really hate the word toxic, but how toxic they could be. And for you to be able to choose better products. I do find though, especially in the fertility space, that we can have the spectrum of people, like we can have people who want to bury their head in the sand, which is totally fine. And then we have other Mm -hmm. people on the end of the spectrum that are trying to be, get rid of absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. Like every source, which I think is just a little bit unrealistic and can cause more stress in itself. Mm-hmm. 
I just aim for progress over perfection. Absolutely. Yes. So that website, whilst it is a really great resource, I think use with care not to get too hyper fixated on it. And we're just looking at reducing our overall um, exposure to these chemicals. Yes. I love that because you know, even last year at some point, I think I learned about polyester like in clothes and how that can like you know also play havoc and that's being on your skin and I'm like am I really going to go to the lens of looking at all my clothes and filtering out all the polyester kind of clothes and just try to opt for I even went down rabbit holes of trying to find just organic cotton stuff yep. do you know how difficult it is yep <laughs> exactly so I think choose a few things um that are you know reasonable and realistic for you that aren't going to cause you more stress and just stick with those few things. Mm -hmm. So what are you finding is the impact? Because you mentioned estrogen and how a lot of them impact estrogen and impact fertility. So how do these endocrine disrupting chemicals actually impact fertility overall? So um, they've been showing it to disrupt both male and female because of that estrogenic effect. And we call these xenoestrogens. So they can bind to the receptor and then actually change the DNA in a downstream process within those cells. So a lot Mm -hmm. of these um, disrupting chemicals such as phthalates, parbins, and BPA are actually found in the follicular fluid in the ovaries that surround our eggs. So they're doing studies on uh, women who are going through IVF and they're testing the fluid in their ovary around their eggs and they're finding that they have the highest amount of these particular endocrine disrupting chemicals. So the effects that we can see of that in women are things like infertility, hormone imbalances because the ovaries are not able to produce estrogen and progesterone, mm-hmm. um, things like um, miscarriage. Um, we also have compromised egg quality that we have decreased fertility rates, uh, sorry, fertilization rates mm-hmm. and embryo development if it has been fertilized with the sperm and the egg. Mm-hmm. Um, it can also impact the actual implantation of the embryo into the uterine lining and even early menopause. That's It's so many different factors. And even if you think about someone that's going through IVF or even just natural conception, you've got to think about egg quality mm-hmm. and then the transfer. And if it's like, if you can see the endocrine disrupting chemicals are impacting both of those factors, yeah. you can see why it's such a foundational thing to be able to address for optimal fertility. So pretty much at every step that you need to get pregnant, it can have an impact. It can have an impact. Yeah. yeah that's crazy. And is there, I guess, because we're kind of seeing more like BPA free bottles and stuff that are being made. Cause you mentioned the plastics. Yeah are a massive thing so are there like what is the whole do you know much about like the bpa free type things that are available like are they good or are they not good like what's the deal because i think some of them i don't don't even know myself so honestly there's literature out there from about 2019 to 2020 where they've looked at the bpa alternative so it really just goes through we have the bisphenol Mm -hmm. we have a it goes through pretty much a through the alphabet Mm-hmm. So we've got other ones like BPF and BPS, and studies are showing that they're, they're just exactly as much of an endocrine disruptor as the BPA. Ah, okay. So, it, you know, and I feel for people because they think that they're making a good choice with that for their health, but it really just comes back to marketing. 
Oh, absolutely. We're saying it's BPA free, but in reality, they've just replaced that BPA with a, you know, it's evil cousin. <laughs> yes. And yeah. We're not really getting anywhere with that. Yeah. And that's, I guess, because the marketing started around trying to say BPA was a problem. Yes. Um, and just like, you know, at, before we jumped on the podcast, I was kind of saying to you, I don't look into things sometimes yes. purely because I know just to try to do my best in England, ignorance is bliss yes. for me sometimes, but in some avenues. Um, but that's where one that I hadn't looked into. It was kind of almost just like word on the street. I heard a little bit to say, well, BPA free doesn't necessarily mean it's great. And I was like, that's as far as I'm going to go because I don't use BPA free products anyway. Um, but so good that you kind of consolidated that information. Yeah. Us. So yeah, just because BPA free doesn't necessarily mean that it's fertility friendly. That's right. Exactly. So I just think if we can opt for glass, then that's really going to be the number one swap that people can make. Yeah. Excellent. And do you know much about if there is any like research on the accumulative effect? Like, is there a particular amount of time that someone probably needs to not have the endocrine disrupting chemicals for it to not be present? So BPA itself actually has a half-life of 24 hours. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who who are listening, that means that for the body to actually excrete um, half of the amount that's in the blood, it takes 24 hours. So after 24 hours of being exposed to uh, BPA, half of it will be detoxified for the body. So in saying that, it can have a bit, you know, like a short half-life. But when we look, compare, say, Australia, Canada and New Zealand to Europe, we have more of like a risk assessment with the accumulative effects. Like we don't really take that into consideration. Mm. So that's why our laws are a little bit different here. So we look at the risk of, you know, individual endocrine disruptors um, and they don't really take the accumulative factor into account. Whereas in Europe, they have more of a hazard approach. Like, okay, we know overall that endocrine disrupting chemicals are a hazard. So let's reduce the exposure and let's limit the amount that we can have. Isn't that crazy? Different parts of the world, just different standards. And then the information of what you get and what you implement in your daily life will then have a significant change. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So can we delve into the estrogen aspect a little bit? So you were saying that that can the endocrine disrupting chemicals can impact the estrogen slightly. Um, if it was say like a high estrogen, because we know I'm sure you probably see it too. It's almost like a new pandemic of low estrogen women as well as high estrogen yes, women as well. I find that. Um, yeah, so often, and it can look like a high estrogen case. You test their bloods, and you're like, actually, your issues and bottoming out. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, let's say, for example, a high estrogen case, mm-hmm. does the endocrine disrupting chemicals impact the estrogen because it's more for the body to detoxify out of the liver, as in like it's mimicking, or because of that impact of how you said it's kind of binding to the receptors and probably amplifying the response? Yeah, it's because it's amplifying it. So xenoestrogens have a weak estrogenic effect. So it's adding mm-hmm. to the pool of estrogen within the body. If you've okay. already got high estrogen, it could be that you're not detoxifying it very well. So in itself, it's an accumulative effect. Yes. Okay. And then I guess in a low estrogen state, yeah. the endocrine disrupting chemicals might even impact, I guess, say the production yes. of estrogen, do you say, because of the potential impact in the ovaries? Um, they can. With that, I would think I would be a bit more concerned 
like it might be not as prevalent if they've got low estrogen, then we're adding, you know, a weak estrogenic effect to that. It might be confusing because they might display as having estrogen dominance, but when you test, you find they're low. Yeah, and it's because of the endocrine disrupting chemicals that are kind of going in pretending that they're acting as estrogen, but it's just not. Yeah, exactly. Yes, okay. Um, And a lot of this is coming from plastics and even like as we say that, you know, some people might not think about all those little things that they do in terms of their plastic exposure. So what are they, what are some common things that you often find uh, going, slipping maybe under the radar that people are using plastics and probably not aware of? Sometimes even, you know, we're thinking about microplastics are quite a big issue now. Yep. So we're finding those in our food. It's not something that we might yes. not necessarily be able to control as much, but I guess if we start at the problem of us using pl- plastic, that if we're using less plastic overall, then there should hopefully be less microplastics maybe over a longer period of time. But even things like tea bags, they can be made out of plastic and then you're putting that into hot water and then you're drinking that. Also things like, you know, our coffee machines, sometimes the internal parts can be made of plastic. And again, we can be running hot water through those, which then it can leach out and then we're consuming that maybe every day or multiple times a day. Straws, we can see, you know, under the radar, maybe not, but we are seeing a massive movement between uh, towards getting um, more paper straws, which is fantastic. Um, yes. And then another one is like plastic bottles. Like, again, maybe not necessarily under the radar, but it just might not be something that people have figured out. It's not something people yeah. think, yeah. And that's what I mean by like, you know, sliding under the radar where people are like, oh, this is something I just do every day, yeah. but I didn't think it would be a thing. Like, um I remember when I started to learn about endocrine disrupting chemicals, I would always then look at the cucumbers that I buy. I was like, I don't want the cucumber that's wrapped in plastic. Oh, I want the one that's so true. <laughs> I want the one that's loose. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, that's something sometimes I think about now. Now I probably I try to go a little bit more to like organic yeah. stores or like farmers markets and stuff and markets and less kind of supermarket buys. Um, and you know, it makes you realize when you go, you're like, actually how many of my pieces of fruit and veg are wrapped in plastic? Yeah. Like bag of carrots, plastic, tomatoes wrapped in plastic, like your strawberries are sitting in plastic. Exactly. And like, even then I kind of think about, um, I guess glad wrap would probably mm-hmm. be a bit of an issue too. And heating glad wrap in the microwave. Yes. And heating plastics, like, you yes. know, for people that meal prep yep. and put their food in plastics and heat that in the microwave. Because it leaches more into the food when they're hot. So it's the kind of heat component can make your exposure, like increase your exposure because it's leaching more into the food because it's making it more pliable and those chemicals are coming out. But you make a good good, um, point about the foods is that the actual pesticides or insecticides in conventionally grown fruits and vegetables are actually endocrine disruptors and they can have mild estrogenic effects as well. Yeah. even going yeah. back to that, you know, clean 15 and dirty dozen is a really good way to implement reducing exposure. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. I think, you know, our listeners are going to have such a good comprehensive list to go back on. They're going to have all the things that they need to kind of look at changing. But like you said, not to yes. be overwhelmed and feel like you need to do it all. I guess if you kind of constantly think you need to perfect it, you know, you could even, you know, go down rabbit holes where you're like, my supplements yep. are in a plastic bottle. And it's like, well, you can't be perfect. No. Exactly. Choose a couple things. And well, it's actually interesting because I got my DNA tested at the end of last year. 
Yeah. And it's like a health DNA profile. So within that, it tells me, according to my genetics, I'm actually more susceptible to endocrine disrupting chemicals uh, because of the estrogens. Yeah. But my heavy metal detoxification, so heavy metals are also endocrine disrupting chemicals. I don't have as much of a issue detoxifying those. So if we have that information, you can actually even get a bit more specific with with yourself in terms of, okay, where should I be putting my, you know, gauge or where should I be putting my focus according to my genetics? So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So that was just a genetic test that probably was that just like a genetic mutation or a genetic SNP or something that kind of comes up in that testing? Yeah. So they have a look and look. Um, so it's a really big health report. The whole report's about 115 pages. Wow. Yeah. And it looks at it marries what are the research about, you know, the genetics and then testing the genetics and marries those and gives you a report saying you actually don't, your comp, so it's my comp gene that detoxifies estrogens is mine slower. Uh, yeah. Therefore, that needs to be a higher priority for me. And things like pesticides and plastics are the xenoestrogens. So I'm more susceptible to those. Um so yeah, I think it's worth its weight in gold because it's looking at research and putting it into terms that you can pretty much implement the next day. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's where it comes back down to the importance of nutritional interventions and such um, to be able to support those specific mutations or, or SNPs, you know, that can be impacting your clearance. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I did a um, hair tissue mineral analysis at the same time and I had no heavy metals. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, Awesome. So I was like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. And that's important to consider because I guess even with heavy metals, I often think about those that are constantly eating tuna. Yes. All day and like the amount of mercury. And then if that's impacting, because I guess we're always going to bring it back to liver function, right? Because I guess these endocrine disrupting chemicals, they need to be cleared out by the liver, cleared out by the stool, cleared out by the urine so they can actually be able to be effectively removed. If there's any backlog on that liver function, then that's going to increase the, I guess, possibly maybe increase the half-life of that chemical because it's not really being able to be cleared out effectively. Um, And so it always comes back to those nutritional interventions and why, I guess, you're doing what you're doing with your clients to be able to support that. Yep, 100%. Yeah. How about things like, I guess, household products? It's something that, you know, I guess if we kind of think we're washing the floors, we're washing our clothes, we're washing our dishes, we're washing our hands, um, spraying down our counters, spraying yes. down our windows, and it's like right there that's already, you know, about six or seven different yes. types of products that you're probably being exposed to maybe on a weekly or possibly daily basis. Yeah, so I think with that, the first thing I consider and ask people to ask themselves, how many products do I actually need? Mm. Again, are we sold that we need everything to be antibacterial? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we definitely want to have a clean house, but in terms of having antibacterial everything, that can disrupt our environment. And then the, the products that we're using are endocrine disrupting chemicals. So I think that's the first point of call. What what products do I actually need to keep my house clean? Then the second one is that I get people to look at is just fragrance free. Yes. Okay. That I think is one of the, the big things because it's mainly the fragrance that can um, contain the phthalates that are endocrine disrupting chemicals. Ah, okay. Yes. 
notes. So it's really in the fragrance. So that can also go for your- um, uh, Like shampoos, conditioners. Yeah, exactly. Um, Body wash. Yeah. Even just buying like sensitive products. Um, and with those cleaning products, you might not be able to get them, you know, a lot of them may be fragrance-free, but even just getting ones with essential oils instead mm-hmm. of fragrances- I would caveat that by saying using essential oil-based products in the bathroom is not always the best because they can actually erode your waterproofing. Ah, yes. So that's kind of where I would draw the line. There, we don't. I feel like that was almost like from experience. (laughs) I have heard of it. I've looked in a lot to mold because that's Uh, a whole other thing. And if we have waterproofing that isn't actually waterproof, then we can have a lot of mold growth that we're not aware of, and that can also impact health. Okay. Yes, Yes. that's the angle I come from um, because I'm so conscious about mold as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a prevalent issue, right? Yes, oh, definitely. <laughs> and I think, and there's so many, um, I guess there is so many homemade kind of remedies that people often talk about when they're creating household products that are mostly essential oil yes. based. Yes. So why that's probably important to be aware of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any other factors that make someone susceptible to the impact of endocrine disrupting chemicals? Or would you say mostly it's genetic and their ability to be able to excrete? Yes, most definitely. So it really depends on the enzymes that detoxify those particular pathways for either heavy metals or things like the xenoestrogens. Yeah. So really, if we think it's a marrying then between our genetics and our environment. Mm-hmm. So if we happen to have, you know, know our genetic profile, then we can choose particular things within our environment. If we don't have the information available, which a lot of people won't, then it's really just about reducing the exposure overall um, to improve the health or, yeah, to improve our fertility. And how do you suggest people to reduce their exposure? So what are some steps you often guide people through? Um, so would be definitely swapping plastic for glass. Mm-hmm. We've talked about avoiding, if you are using plastic, avoid microwaving it. Even if you've got, mm-hmm. you know, you've bought lunch, tip it into a bowl and then microwave it. can be just a really easy way to get around that. Yeah. Um, even washing your fruits and vegetables before you consume them, a lot of people don't do that. Uh, using a water filter, so having that under mm-hmm. your counter or getting one of the Berkey filters can be a really good way to have a look at removing any heavy metals that are in our drinking water. People say, you know, if you don't have a filter on your water, then you're the filter. So Yes, <laughs> that's interesting. I like that. Yep, that's right. Um, choosing those personal healthcare products that are uh, unscented or fragrance-free. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is using a non, sorry, use replacing your non-stick pans with potentially the iron cast pans or the stainless steel pans. Mm-hmm. So I know whilst it can seem like a hassle because we're cooking, you know, most days to have a stick pan, um, if we invest in a really good cast iron pan, that actually becomes non-stick if it's seasoned really well. Um, and the um, stainless steel pans, if you do heat them up, then they kind of become a bit more non-stick. So it's actually how we're using those products to make it easier for us because yeah. the Teflon coating in those non-stick pans, again, is an endocrine disruptor. We're heating the pan. It's going directly into the food that we're eating so that can be mm. a source that we might not be aware of. 
Yeah. And I guess that's where we've got to think about all the different methods of absorption into the body, right? So I guess the skin, such a large organ for absorption, like we said, the digestive tract, a large part of absorption into the body, Um, and even the vaginal tract, like, you know, the reproductive tract. So like, you know, if you're specifically, you know, even using um, like tampons and stuff that aren't, that aren't chemical free, and that's why I guess people are probably moving over more to like the menstrual cups. Yeah, exactly. To try to avoid that kind of chemical exposure from that avenue. So protect, yeah, definitely with the tampons and the deductions in there, they are endocrine disrupting mm. chemicals as well. So always getting organic cotton is a really good way just to be like, okay, I'm going to get the organic cotton one. I know that it has less pesticides and less of those endocrine disrupting chemicals and that's really important for people with endometriosis as well yeah absolutely just the overall inflammatory load that that will exacerbate another one is our sunscreens like i know it sounds so hippie to be like sunscreens are toxic again i don't like the word toxic but when we have those chemical barriers they contain a um, substance called oxybenzone which really has been linked to hormone disruptions in multiple studies. And that's Mm. the most common filler that we see used in sunscreens in Australia. So even swapping to a clear zinc-based sunscreen, because we're, you know, really should be putting that on most days in Australia on Mm. large parts of our bodies. So again, like you said, it's thinking how we actually absorbing these. The skin's one of the biggest organs. So that can be really another good way to reduce our exposure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even a good little task for people to do, I guess, when from after they're listening to this is the next day, as soon as you wake up, think about every single interaction you have with either things that you're touching or things that you're putting directly onto your skin. And even if you think when you're waking up in the morning, you know, is there deodorants going on straight into your armpits that are going straight through your lymphatics? Do they contain aluminium or any other types of um, toxic, you know, other heavy metals or other endocrine disrupting chemicals? And then, you know, your makeup in itself could have four or five different products right there. Then perfumes, like you said, like even um, dry shampoo. Yes. Yeah. And we're spraying that on our scalp almost, you know, maybe a few times a week, multiple times a day, depending on what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah, we'll make sure like in the show notes, I'll probably write a little list of things that kind of people can as like a, you know, we've mentioned a lot of them, but I think even just kind of reiterating that list for everyone, because there's so many things to be aware of from the moment you pretty much wake up to, I guess, the end of your week, once you've done all your cleaning and everything, you see the amount of things that you actually touch. That's right. So I often suggest people do an endocrine disrupting chemical audit Mm -hmm. and just take it room by room in the house. Yeah. So just do the kitchen. Okay, what in here could potentially be an endocrine disrupting chemical? Am I, you know, the pan that I'm using, the cleaning products, utensils, plastic utensils? Mm -hmm. Can I slowly start to replace those and then move then to the bathroom, to your bedroom, um, and just do it like I'm a pretty systematic person. <laughs> I love that. That's how you got to do it. Yeah. 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 Room by room. You're not trying to do everything at once and just replacing products as you need them yes. so that you're not going out and just spending and spending and just doing it slowly. I think that's honestly the best way to tackle it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even something that just came to mind was getting your nails done. Yes. So I know like I I have psoriasis um, myself and yeah. I've only ever had my nails done probably three times max in my whole life. And every single time there's nail polish on 
my fingers, I can guarantee something will flare up, even if it's like my psoriasis on my hands. It could even be um, because I get a bit of perioral dermatitis and rosacea. So it could even be on my face because I'm touching my face with my hands (laughs) during the day and the the fumes from that. But that's just on a surface level. You can't even see internally what it's doing. Yeah, exactly. And it's such a small area of your body, isn't it? Yeah. Small area and you're having such a large reaction to that. Exactly. Yeah, so there's so many things. So then if you were to list maybe three everyday products that majority of people use every day that you think should be on their top priority list to swap over, what do you think they would be? So definitely for me, I think it's the water bottle and the plastic food containers to swap Mm -hmm. either over to stainless steel or to glass. Yeah. I just think if we are taking our, you know, lunch uh, to work every day or meal prepping, then it's just such a high um, load that we're exposed to multiple times a day. And the water bottle, if we're drinking from that every single day, again, that's a constant exposure that we have. The second one would be the sunscreens and or lotion because we're putting them you know, over large areas of our body in, mm-hmm. and it's absorbed directly into our bloodstreams. And then again, like you said, that goes to the liver. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think definitely replacing those. Um, and then the third one would be like things like washing detergents because we're washing our clothes oh, and, and fabric softener because mm. you can smell fabric softener on your clothes for a yes. couple of days afterwards. So that's yes. the fragrance there. Yes. Definitely ditch the fabric softener um, and go for fragrance-free or sensitive um, washing detergent for your clothes. Even if you don't have sensitive skin, I just think, you know, we might not be necessarily having a reaction, but we just think I want to reduce the exposure um, and I think the you know sensitive skin types of products are best for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that. And I think all of this is so helpful, not even just for women or any any individual that's trying to like whether you're falling pregnant or trying to optimize your fertility. But I think even the factors that I think of from because as as you know, like I work a lot in skin. So it's yeah. something that I think a lot about when even it comes to people that have, immune system dysregulation with their skin in their response, like rosacea, periodermatitis, eczema, psoriasis, if there's like this constant exposure to all of these chemicals, like, yes, they're impacting their hormones, but it's also somewhat impacting their overall inflammatory response and their liver function because the body still has still a poison and toxin to the body that it needs to deal with. Most definitely. And that, that is in the literature as well. Mm. So immune function, dysregulation, um, it's there. And then yeah. from that, you know, the downstream of that is things like cancer. Yeah, that's it. So, and it's quite, it's such an important thing to address. And even if we think, um, as you were kind of talking about some of those kind of key players and things to change, I also thought about, um, we spoke about the the skin as being an organ to, mm-hmm. for absorption, the gut, the vaginal tract, but also mm-hmm. the respiratory tract. It's so important, isn't it? Because you're breathing in these things every day. And I guess that's even like, you know, particular candles have a lot of, those yes. like fragrances and uh, chemicals and stuff in them too. So true. And people love candles. I feel like I love all candles, the things yeah. that are being, being marketed um, are not necessarily really great for our health. Yeah. And even people who have the plug-in fragrance scented, you know, in the um, electricity outlets mm. to fragrance their house, again, that's just a massive exposure. Yeah. So that and candles. Yeah, like you said, they could be under the radar ones that we're having a look at that we're not really aware of. Yes. So they do have some essential oil scented candles, so that could be a really good alternative. Mm. 
Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I might try to come up with a little list um, for people or do you know somewhere that you can kind of look into that has a list of kind of, I guess, our approved our approved kind of, um, I guess, products or anything that you would suggest? Not that I'm aware of, um, but I'm sure we could definitely put a list together. Put a list together. Yeah. 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 Um, but thank you so much for coming on to the episode today. It's been such a pleasure having you share all of this information with us. Welcome. Yeah, it's been great to talk about this. Yes, I love it. And if there's somewhere that people can go to see all of the things that you're about, um, is there some particular places like website or Instagram? Yeah. So my website is lesleyoconnornaturopath.com.au. And then my Instagram handle is just the same, Leslie, L-E-S-L-E-Y, O'Connor, naturopath um, on Instagram and also on Facebook. Beautiful. And I know that you've just released a um, hormone pathology cheat sheet that's available for purchase on your website. So I'll also make sure I link your website into the show notes. So if people want to go and have a look at that too, uh, then they've got all the information there. Definitely. You can actually get out the cheat sheet and get out your own bloods and literally try and look at what of your hormones out of balance. Yeah. Incredible. That's awesome. Such a great resource. Thank you so much, lovely. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you.